0: if the russians had been able to keep up with us even if they'd gone for second place we might have kept going yeah if they had gotten to the moon
1: first oh, and yeah. then it was just a continued race for higher and higher ground i think it would be you would see a very different it would be like military level spending so not 10 billion dollars a year 20 billion dollars a year it would be 500 billion dollars a year in, in space funding it would be a different it would be a vastly different solar system
0: Welcome to What the If, Philip Shane here, documentary filmmaker, I almost used the word
2: erstwhile again. I I still don't know what it means. Yeah, you can't call yourself erstwhile, though. No? Okay. (laughs) I think you can, it's it's definitely something you say about other people.
0: I see, I see. Well, then joining me, that voice you hear, that lovely sonorous voice, is the erstwhile (laughs) (laughs) Matthew Stanley, author of Einstein's War.
2: That's right. Available from Amazon now. Yeah, that's right. And mm-hmm. the book is about? It is about uh, Einstein surviving World War I while trying to figure out relativity. And that is an amazing story. We have
0: such a special guest today. I want to get right to him. He's here on my screen. Audio wise, he's not in your, not in your f- sphere of influence yet. Yet. Soon. There he is. Fraser Kane. Publisher of Universe Today, uh, host co-host of Astronomy Cast podcast, an amazing uh, program, and king of YouTube. <laughs> I
1: don't think I don't think that's an official title that I go no, with, but uh, uh, I'll go with baron of
2: YouTube, surf
1: of YouTube. It's a big place, <laughs> yeah. and there's a lot of very important YouTubers. So, right. uh, you know, I, I'm able to eke out my own little uh, niche in the corner of it.
0: Yeah, but those are wonderful, and I have I have been a listener and a reader for so long. How long have you been doing Universe Today?
1: Well, I just celebrated the twentieth anniversary of Universe Today. Whoa! Yeah, wow. So, so uh, March twenty second, nineteen ninety nine is when I started up the website. So here I am, twenty days and one week when we're two weeks when we're recording this.
0: Amazing amazing
1: yeah it turns out all you have to do is just do the same thing for 20 years and you can make a career out of it it's, <laughs> it's
0: true it's <laughs> true well longevity is everything consistency yeah, exactly. and longevity yeah and exactly just keep showing up every day yeah well that's what woody allen said 50 percent of or 80 percent of show business is showing up growing up yeah yeah uh the other part is you can't leave that's the other hard part so you come uh fraser you come with a wonderful what the if concept but, but let me explain For those who are new,
2: including you, possibly, Fraser, why is it, Matt, tell us, why is it what the if? Uh, Because we get upset about things. Um, Put a little bit of chutzpah into our speculation. Oh, that's pretty good. Chutzpah. What is the symbol for chutzpah? Um, That's like what emoji would represent chutzpah. (laughs) I don't know. I'd have to ask my daughters. They're better at that than I am.
1: But I mean, in this case, wouldn't it be like the letter F and then a whole bunch of like asterisks and pounds? Yeah, signs sounds right.
0: <laughs> yeah
2: exclamation comic
1: exclamation style after yeah, it? Yeah, That's right. That sounds yeah. right.
0: That's right. Mm-hmm. F star, star 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 star. Yeah, yeah. Star. That's how you. That's Ambers how you build <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Fraser, you, I'll I'll let you take it a little further, but but the idea is we're looking at coming up very exciting, unless you want to feel old, the fiftieth. <laughs> Anniversary. anniversary of Apollo 11. That's yeah. right. That's right. And so, your idea, your what the if is what the if? What if we didn't stop, right? What right. if we, at the end of,
1: of Apollo uh, 17, 18, didn't shut it down, dismantle the rockets, build the space shuttle, uh, orbit the Earth for a little while, and then 50 years later go, how come we're not going anywhere? What if we use that time? with more
0: exploration. Where would we be now? I love this. And, and, and for those who weren't around, I, I'm, I was a year and a half or something around when we landed on the moon, so I can't say, I feel like I remember it because I do remember multiple landings on the moon when I was growing up. So I I I think I was there in front of the TV, but I may have been in this sort of rectangular cage like. <laughs> yeah, I may not have heard too much. Yeah, um, and I was probably wondering why are all these people cheering and screaming? Uh, but at the time, it felt like well, this is there was no reason to think it was going to stop. Right? They didn't say we're only going to do this many mi- missions and then we're done. Is that right?
1: Well. Kind of. They they had a plan um, that goes longer than the original Apollo missions that we're aware of. So the last the last mission to actually land humans on the surface of the moon was Apollo 17. I think it was in like 1972. 1970. Yeah, 1972. So you would have been three and a half when it happened. So maybe you remember. I'm not sure. Um, uh, and then there were three more missions that were planned after that: Apollo 18, 19, and 20 and but the they did it they landed on the moon uh, and they were just looking to save money and so they they for, for really for budget reasons cuz they were spending an an enormous amount if you look at the amount of money that's being spent by NASA currently it was about 10 times as much money back in the Apollo era in just sort of real world, uh, you know, inflation-adjusted dollars. So they were spending all the money, um, and it to beat, really to beat the Soviets to the surface of the moon. Soviets beat the Soviet whole Apollo, or their, their moon missions collapse, and the United States doesn't really see an urgency to do that anymore.
0: What, what could have been? It seems to be that the number one thing that's lost was sort of the sense of exploration. It's interesting, I didn't realize that Apollo was planned actually all the way out to number 20. So seventeen yep. Apollo 17, they come home, and in this bright new retro future we've created, there's yep. another mission, 18 is going up, and then let's say 18, 19, 20 happened, yep. and where, how do we continue from there, you think?
1: the goal was to build the first concepts of a lunar base so 18 uh, 19 and 20 they had hoped to lay down modules onto the surface of the moon and wow. then use those as the sort of as a nascent base on the moon that then humans would continuously occupy and improve and build uh, they had plans to build a telescope on the moon as part of I forget exactly which which mission, but they were going to do a lot of like long term uh, science experiments, things that would take weeks, months, years to study the radiation environment, um, micrometeorite impacts, weathering, and do a lot more geology. So the goal really was longer, and they you know NASA had even picked locations that they were going to be landing the the that these places on and how this this sort of nascent base would start to come together
2: so one of the issues here is did they have the technology for long term settlement at the time that is they knew they could keep people alive for a few days in space but was did they actually have the ability to keep people alive for say months at a time
1: so they had gone in as part of the Gemini program, they had started to really push the lengths of time that they could keep human beings in space. And they had, you know, the poor astronauts had to be in these tiny Gemini capsules for weeks at a time. So they knew that a human being wasn't going to explode or 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 melt into a puddle within a couple of weeks. But they were starting to get a sense of the of the deterioration that happens to the body in, in microgravity. And again, it's kind of, you know, you would need that long-term uh, microgravity research, the stuff that was done on the space shuttle, but really the stuff that was done by the Russians with the Mir space station and eventually with the International Space Station to see exactly what happens to the human body over months and even a year of being in space. And so I would anticipate they would have this exact same question, which is, okay, we've got some people living on the moon and we're studying how they're doing and, and they would be fairly knowledgeable about what happens to the human body in 15% gravity, but not necessarily what it's like to be in microgravity. But you could imagine them launching some kind of space station that would allow them to start to test some of that longer microgravity and start to work towards some of the, the research. Maybe not something as elaborate initially as the International Space Station, but there were plans to build fairly permanent space stations in low Earth orbit as well as, as space stations in lunar orbit.
0: That's cool. Was the telescope supposed to go on the far side or the near side?
1: No, it would be on the near side. The initial idea was, well, let's let the astronauts take a telescope, set it up on the moon and start to control it and and see what kinds of images we could take with the airlessness of space. Does the moon serve as the perfect platform for doing our our, our astronomy?
0: At some point, the phrase moon base became a joke. Which I still find kind of shocking. I mean, Apollo was very inspiring. People were very excited about it. And at some point now, you know, if a politician says, I want to build a moon base. I mean, there's those of us who are like, yeah, that's awesome. But a whole lot of people, it just becomes, I don't know, there's something. Uh, I, don't want in, I don't think anyone on this podcast is laughing. Not laughing. <laughs> I'm not laughing. No, no,
1: no. This is, this <laughs> is serious probably, business.
2: probably around the James Bond movie that featured a moon base. Uh,
0: uh-huh. <laughs> okay. All right. There you go. <laughs> Well, that was just,
1: yeah, that's, you know, that's James Bond. That's right.
0: That's right. Okay, so we have this base, and we have, yeah, telescope have this telescope, and we have all these uh, ast- astronomical and physics experiments and biological yep. uh, human uh, living experiments. So, basically, it's, it's a bit like Antarctica, or even more so, yeah. it's like the space station. Yeah, I think that's a great, I mean, it, it, is this, it is the International
1: Space Station, except it's only the Americans, and it's on the moon. And so, I'm envisioning that they keep going that they decide that that having this permanent scientific base like Antarctica on the moon is the thing that is worth having and that they can that because you've got a it's ground and maybe they they build into a, a lava tube or something so you can start to to have a little bit more protection from the radiation. They'll start to learn about what the 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 microgravity does to their bodies. They're gonna realize that the radiation environment is actually really dangerous. And so th- and I and so what I would see is them finding some kind of lava tube and starting to build the the vast majority of their base into some some protected area on the moon but the thing is the moon sucks so <laughs> i don't think you're going to see anything beyond just a scientific outpost something that maybe has six astronauts at the most like we have the international space station it is like a you know it's a parallel world where a a very elaborate uh, base is being built on the moon, and additional hardware is being sent, and more modules are being sent, and they're dropped down. And then, interesting science experiments are being figured out, and they maybe they open up to more of an international collaboration, and they are able to every couple of years, or maybe every year, they send one more mission back and forth to the moon.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because when you think about it, Antarctica, they do have tourism now, for instance. But even there, it's you can you can go. My, my aunt went, so that definitely is it it reaches a wider group of people who can go there than before but it's not a huge huge thing
1: no and i mean it's it, i mean even like even right now you're looking at if you want to send a human being to the surface of the moon you're probably going to need to spend 200 million to 500 million dollars per person Whoa. to send yeah. so i can't imagine that that those prices will will come down through this alternate history that we are imagining the point is, we've got a moon base.
0: <laughs> and I feel like maybe that's part of the problem, is that, even, okay, so this is great. We've gotten to the point, we have the moon base, and no matter what, we're, we're always going to reach a point where the vision ends or becomes vague. And that's why it's yes. interesting that even though scientists mm-hmm. and those, who love, those of us who love them know that basic research is great and it's important and, you know, everything goes on space station even though it goes around in circles. Hugely important, and it does lead us forward. It's just a little bit more unclear. So that the dead simple thing of, like, Mars, it seems like it's a great motivator. And it is an important achievement, but that's something we have to look to the next place. And I think we would have, right?
1: Yeah, so I think that that the next obvious thing to do after after having your permanent base on the moon is it would actually be some kind of uh space station in a in a lagrange point there are the the earth moon lagrange points there are these points of essentially like gravitational balance between the gravity of the earth and the gravity of the moon and things can kind of hang in that location That then becomes this platform, this jumping-off point that you can then start to to reach other parts of the solar system without having to do it all in one big rocket launch.
2: So if we get a Lagrange station going, do we need something like a space shuttle to keep it maintained and fueled and supplied and such? Are we back to the space shuttle peril? Well, it wouldn't be, I
1: don't think... I, if we're assuming that they they didn't decide that they were going to try to build a reusable space plane. That they realized that that was a dead end. And that they continued essentially just building bigger and bigger versions of cargo rockets that yeah, can, can... Disposable. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that are disposable rockets. And then as the as the technology starts to catch up, they start to go towards the same paths that SpaceX is doing with the reusability. So the possibility of of rocket reusability has always been there. People have always, you know, the math permits it. It's just that that having a computer capable of of handling the the decisions to keep a rocket landing on its own, you know, a launch pad is very complicated and requires a certain level of microcomputers. And so, if you're imagining, we're pushing into the '80s, the '90s. They've got, at this point, you know, a, per- a permanently staffed lunar base. They've got some kind of, of space, you know, some kind of space station with some sort of rotating structure on it that is able to keep the astronauts healthy for longer periods of time. And they are sending rockets regularly up to the space station. And then you could do this all with the budget that was spent on the space shuttle. I mean, let's say they double or maybe triple NASA's budget just to make it really, you know, but it's still down from from what it was back during the Apollo age when it was 10 times NASA's current budget. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: you could see them building up this infrastructure. But I, I wouldn't see them using anything like the space shuttle. It's just too expensive for too little payload carried to orbit. It would be about it would be about what is the biggest rocket that we can send that will send a, up, you know, 150 tons of fuel. To this, to this, space yeah, game, okay. right? It's good. It would be about it would be about economies of scale, and you would see. I think that's the direction that they would go. The astronauts would be swapping out. they probably do like six months on the surface of the moon, and then they spend six months at the space station, and then they come home and they just rotate to these oh, different okay.
0: facilities. That'd be so cool. I'm yeah, ro- I want to rotate. Yeah, now, I imagine <laughs> yeah. that the the other countries don't sit still it, was, it i'd never really thought about it you mentioned it it's like the russians completely gave up was yep. that because they just thought oh screw it if we're not there first it doesn't matter yeah. let the americans blow their money on this thing
1: well no i mean they built a rocket system that was going to be their attempt at it it was called the n1 and it was like a it was very reminiscent of the falcon heavy it was a pile of rocket engines all working together which would break apart in various stages but it was before the kinds of sophisticated computers that we have today i mean the falcon heavy is only possible because you've got really sophisticated computers that can control 27 separate engines that's that's how it that's what makes it such a that uh, just makes it possible. And then, of course, the thing breaks apart and all three parts land on their own separate landing pads. I mean, that is next level, right? Yeah. But just to control the all of those different engines was beyond the Russians' ability. It was, a, it was the wrong technology. While well, the Americans went with fewer, more powerful rocket engines, which ended up being, you know, they went with the F-1 engine, which ended up being the right path to go. And so right. the Russians had, or the Soviets had fundamentally gone down the wrong path but the soviets have been had been and, the, and then the russians have been flying the same the soyuz and the progress and their other various rockets fairly safely for more than 50 years yeah you know the same the, mm-hmm. the soyuz rocket that carries astronauts in the international space station today is not that different from the soyuz that carried astronauts 50 cosmonauts 50 years ago it is a you know they got really good at building this very safe very reliable rocket system. so so i think you would see there would be either international collaborations because this stuff is so expensive so you would see that the japanese would build a module and it would be, atta- it would be sent to the moon on a soyuz rocket or or a, you know some larger launch vehicle and then it would be plopped down beside the the international lunar base and they would just keep adding to it like once you've got a place to do this work you just keep adding to it and so that's what i would see there would just be one base that would just be get bigger and bigger as more people sent more things to this to the surface of the moon and then maybe you would see the same thing with the with the space station like it doesn't make sense to build two of these things you see one
2: all right so how do we convince congress to keep paying for this
1: Well, right. And so this is, this is the leap of faith, right? Like the reason Congress stopped paying for this is because they beat the Russians. How do you keep them spending 10 times the money? Uh, You don't. You can't. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But one, but, but I think if, you so the way you do it is you have like there be enough excitement in the ongoing progress that's happening that there is the political will to keep spending the money on these programs. So that's the that's the leap of faith in my what right. if scenario is that you know it's like the I don't know if you guys have ever play the Kerbal Space Program. It's this video game where mm-hmm. you mimic uh, sort of a human space program except with these little adorable plant creatures. And and the and the two things are one you've got like budgetary willingness for exploration and two you've got um, astronauts that are willing to to jump headlong into whatever you throw them into. <laughs> right? So it's those two things that you need. A sort of a looser safety
0: profile
1: <laughs> and unlimited funding.
0: The one thing that lays out there and I think it's still coming there is some material out there and i hate to be so like utilitarian about it but like the unobtainium there's something out there right that we have yet to find but we will find oh, we found it oh, oh no we found it we know what it is yeah what's that um well,
1: it's. I mean, it's just stuff, things, right? Like, there are asteroids with more than the world's entire supply of platinum and iridium and gold and and all the stuff. There are there are asteroids that you just walk over and start picking up chunks of iridium, right? So, so it, there's tons of valuable resources out there in space. Just water alone, water ice out in space, is very valuable, um, and and so. You know the the revolution that we're going through right now, that is really reinvigorating the whole concept of space exploration, is a lot of the ideas of of robotic control and three D printing and and our ability to extract some of these resources remotely. And so you are going to see people starting to extract these resources. You could imagine a hundred years from now, today that we're going to have this future where you've got robotic mining systems that go out and extract the resources off an asteroid and they bring them all back to some facility and it manufactures stuff out in space uh, and sends some of it back to Earth as necessary, but largely leaves the stuff out in space. Like, like there is so much more readily available resources out there in, in the solar system than there is down here on Earth. And the more infrastructure that we place in space, the, the easier a chance we're going to have to to be able to take, start taking advantage of it. And we're just in this really uncomfortable in-between stage where it's just still incredibly expensive to get up to space and we have no infrastructure. So I think the, you know, the through line that I'm trying to pitch is that we realize that infrastructure in space is the key and we build more and more infrastructure over time. Because the more infrastructure you have, the easier life becomes. You know, If I dropped you off in the middle of uh, Antarctica at the spot of a future polar base you would die yeah. but but if you're there and you, <laughs> right but but now you could show up and they would they would be able to offer you nice fresh coffee and uh you could use their hot tub so yeah. it's infrastructure
0: so given the rate of of building that we saw in apollo if we can extrapolate that 50 years on what do we think
1: a base that's on the moon. You could see them now at the point at the point where they're learning to work with the lunar regolith to form structures to to pull uh, resources that that they require right out of the lunar regolith to to extract oxygen and aluminum and titanium and and iron and things like that from the lunar surface. That they are uh, that they're starting to to live more and more off in a, in more of a closed environment where they, they're starting to minimize the amount of stuff that they have to bring from earth. Yeah. And so I think that's the, that's the key is that what the time gives you is to just, is to perfect living off the land as much as humanly possible. And I think that's what we would see. And then that you would see them contributing. You would see that lunar base contributing fuel and building materials and metals and things like that into this growing space structure.
0: Are we on Mars yet? I, I'm i not
1: sure. Um, Mars is really, really far away, and it's really, really hard to get to. And the way the orbits line up, that that if you're able to send people to Mars... Um, You're almost certainly going to give them a dramatic increase in the amount of cancer risk that they face (laughs) for two years of being in space itself. And not to mention the difficulty of landing heavy payloads onto the surface of Mars. Mars is, Mars, as I would say, eats spacecraft for breakfast. Right now, you look at the, um, you know, I think it's like only 53% of the missions sent to Mars have succeeded. Wow, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this is—we've gotten way much, way better. Like it used to be, seventy-five percent of them fail. And part of the problem is, is that the, the Martian atmosphere is is super thin, so you can't use it for an aerodynamic entry the way you know the space shuttle uses the Earth's atmosphere. And and yet it is too thick, so you can't, so you still have to take a heat shield. So you have to carry it's like having to carry an umbrella on a day when every now and then it's going to drizzle briefly and you're, you're stuck carrying an umbrella around the whole time. And so you can't do a, a propulsive landing as inexpensively as you do on the moon. You still have to, you have to do both propulsive landing and an aerodynamic entry, which is, which is total pain. So you, you right now, the heaviest payload that can be landed on the surface of of Mars is about one ton, which was about the, the, the mass of the Curiosity rover. There are plans to maybe increase that to three tons, maybe, but, you know, To put a base down on Mars, you're looking at 100 tons, you're looking at gigantic rockets that will be dropping. Now, it's not impossible, you you just need to build up your infrastructure. So my guess is that you would see a base, you wouldn't see necessarily a base down on the surface of Mars, but you might see a base at Phobos. So you might see the, Uh. the version of a space station something built into one of the moons that orbits mars to above the surface that is building out the infrastructure to permit and help out future astronauts are going to try to land down on the surface of of mars i i don't even know i don't think that there would be i don't think humans would have set foot on mars even now with an uninterrupted Progress in space, but there's a lot of people that would totally disagree with me and say, "Oh no, we would be, we would be." You know, von Braun thought we would be on the right. surface of Mars in the mid '80s or you know, early uh, '90s. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But I, I don't think so. I think it's it's going to be still really hard, and it's going to take some really incredible developments and willingness to see a hundred people die at a time in a that mm-hmm. is going to is going to require that kind of uh, risks. So,
2: well, yeah. that's an interesting idea, that the, the biggest obstacle is just not willing to see the piles of corpses it takes for exploration. I mean, we kind of romanticize the, the age of sail these days, but until 1800, the odds of surviving a transatlantic journey were 50%. Whoa! Yeah. And this is not just the people who were stuck down in cargo. This, no, no, this is just the odds of your ship getting trashed was wow. half.
0: Yeah. Wow, imagine if airplanes were like
2: that.
1: Yeah, exactly. yeah so imagine, right. I mean, you saw, <laughs> wow. we saw what happened, every time, it, you know, an airplane disappears in the middle of the uh, Atlantic Ocean, uh, CNN covers it nonstop, obsessively, and nobody wants to fly in airplanes anymore.
0: Although, i I dare say, perversely, actually, for the space program, the accidents... Oh, here, here's a very strange thing I know. So I was at, um, I, I got to do this amazing NASA social program, right? Uh, a month ago, I got to go down for the SpaceX launch, the demo one launch that had Ridley on it. And, um, they took us all over the place and I met all these people of all ages, my age and older, but, and then a bunch of young people, of course. And I was amazed that one after the other, after the other, they would say to the young people or you would ask them, what, what got you interested in the space program? They would all mention, the Challenger. And I just, like, they huh. the first person that mentioned it, I thought, oh, you know, like, they say, I was in school, and I remember the Challenger blowing up, and I thought, oh, okay, well, so they're, they're going to say that there was that, but then something got them excited about it. No, they just, they all were inspired. They Obviously, it wasn't a happy occasion. Yeah, but I yeah,
1: think but it, it be, made them aware.
0: Yeah, it was their formative memory. And there was yeah. a teacher on it, and I think all the reverence that went around it rightfully so, but that's what they saw. Wow, yeah.
2: that would not have occurred to me. Yeah.
0: It's sad that, you know, look, if, if you're lucky enough to have remembered, say, the Apollo mission, you saw the same thing, tremendous reverence, the society coming together, but for better or worse, even around that tragedy, the exact same thing happened for a negative yeah. result. And the danger of the, I always thought it was, it was disappointing when they said, whoever it was said, we, I, I want with the space shuttle, we want it to become routine, we we want it yeah. to be so routine it's not covered on TV anymore, and I just thought that doesn't.
2: Uh. <laughs> it doesn't sound right. <laughs> doesn't yeah. sound
0: right, and that's a, a different. I I could see what they meant by that. I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like we don't cover every airplane, long. <laughs> yes. But I think yeah. that it's 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 the leader perhaps who is willing to take the risks. You know, because the astronauts are willing to take the risks. They're not foolhardy. They put, you know, everything they can into safety and all, but they're willing to do it. And um, when it comes to all kinds of technological advances, we still risk lives, you know, building skyscrapers and tunnels and nuclear power and all these things.
1: And I think that was the mistake. I think you're exactly right that saying that you want the space shuttle, you want to build hardware that makes spaceflight routine, is a fundamental misunderstanding of what your role is in being the government agency whose job it is to push the boundaries of what what is possible. And there's a really great philosophy that I really like. Um, as you know, there are people in NASA that have this idea: is is they want to see a um, capabilities based exploration program. So as opposed to a goals-based program where you're like, we're going to land on the moon or we're going to land on Mars, they just want to do, they say, we should build the infrastructure so that we can do more and that we will just keep doing more until someone tells us to stop. So uh, (laughs) we will we will we will spend three weeks in orbit now we'll spend eight weeks in orbit we will spend we will go to lunar orbit now we'll go into a high lunar orbit now we'll dock with an asteroid now we'll retrieve a sample from an asteroid they can just keep layering on the 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 the, the to-do list until until it's clear that you don't need to have this program anymore that that everything has been commoditized and routined enough and the commercial industry is starting to pick up all the 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 you know, put, picking up what you're laying down, that I think that that would be a is a, is a very exciting f- future for me, so that every mission is a first. Yeah, yeah. Right? This yeah. is going to be the first time that humans have ever set foot on on an asteroid. This is the first time that humans have ever gone into orbit around Venus. This is the first time that a human has ever set foot
0: on Mars. I actually twice got to speak, at some length actually, with the uh, NASA administrator, Jim Stein. I got to do this Planetary Society day of lobbying. We went up, met legislators, and I said to him, what what do we, you know, what do you recommend when I speak to somebody? What do I, do I say, like, hey, this will bring a lot of jobs to your district kind of thing? And he he kind of laughed. He's like, "Oh, oh, oh, don't do that as much as that sounds like the right idea. He said, there's a whole history of people criticizing NASA for being a jobs program.
1: Yeah and he said uh, yeah. it's
0: not a jobs program it's a program where there are jobs available but what we are doing is he said we are going to mars and it's like they finally have all agreed To put it all in one package and say we're going to Mars and we have to go to the Moon to get to Mars, but we're going to Mars, 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 and they just hammered that away and away. And And I thought that was really seemed very smart. It's like let's let's see how long that lasts. That sort of pitch. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Until they realize how expensive (laughs) going to Mars is and how dangerous it is. Yeah,
0: but if you look Uh, at the Olympics, it's interesting because you were talking about doing the firsts, always doing firsts. The Olympics is not a bad uh, model for like human achievement. It is the best that humans can do each four years or two years, and um, every year, like if there's a skater, they'll do this one, they'll do the triple LUTs, whatever, and then they'll do four times, and then they'll do five times, or the the snowboarders will do one th- 160, three, two, whatever, 360, 720, all this kind of stuff, and every year they do more, and it's the friendly competition of it that drives them, but also those, I don't even think those athletes need that competition, they would go for that record no matter what. And I love this idea of that, yeah, just singular achievements that you can put on the wall.
1: Yeah, it's capability, capabilities driven. You just, you build up your infrastructure so that you have the ability to do ever more ambitious things without necessarily saying we're going to Mars.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And lastly, do you think that, you know, we have a whole new crew coming in. The cavalry is coming in the form of these tech Mm -hmm. billionaires. I wonder if that also is an important part of the equation. Like those guys would have come out you know, anytime they could have. And it took this, these, I don't know if it's these kind of people who can see how you can completely revolutionize something by taking on something incredibly boring, like how to pay you with your credit card on the internet, right? Yeah. But solving it, how to deliver packages on time, but solving it and seeing that those, these, Infrastructure things, as you say, can completely change the world and put all the money in their pocket also. Yeah, I think that that they are—I mean, the fact that Jeff
1: Bezos and Elon Musk both really, from first principles, realized that human beings need to be able to master space exploration— it shows you, and they're not the only ones. That there were a bunch of others that are that are interested in, and enthusiastic about this. I think that that you've got this interesting connect collection of of sort of people arriving at the same idea. You know, uh, you can I, I think a lot of people can trace like back to Robert Zubrin with the Mars Society making the case for Mars. That that was a really influential book that really affected a lot of people, and matched with. People being who were nerds being able to make a lot of money to be able to fund some of the stuff matched with the technology to finally make the the cost savings possible with in terms of the of 3d printing parts with uh, computer modeling of some of the technology to the computers powerful enough to handle some of the 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 rocket landings and reusability aspects. So I think you had a lot, you know, sort of a perfect storm. You had a lot of things come together in a way that that enabled this. To have these private players come in, come in to do this. I mean, when you look at the development of the of the Falcon Heavy, it was done entirely. It was done without a customer uh-huh. by SpaceX. Uh-huh. They had no uh-huh. idea who was going to pay for this thing, right? Yeah. They self-funded it yeah. to develop it. The Chinese are launching as many rockets as the Americans are now. Mm. What the Indians are launching them at a fraction of the price. I mean, we're seeing international Competition as well as heightened competition just inside the United States, so it's going to get weird over the next all decade right. i think
2: hmm. all right
0: it's exciting it's exciting. I like that it's going to get weird it's going to get weird yeah it's going to get
1: super weird <laughs> weird
0: I think it's going to get weird in the good way yeah it might have been if the Ru- if the Russians had been able to keep up with us, even if they'd gone for second place, we might have kept going yeah, if they had gotten to the moon first. Oh, and yeah. then it was just a continued race
1: for higher and higher ground. I think it would be, you would see a very different, it would be like military level spending. So not $10 billion a year, $20 billion a year. It would be $500 billion a year in military funding, in, in space funding. It would be a different, yeah. it would be a vastly different solar system.
0: So I will end with, I'm going to start a Kickstarter campaign to raise money uh, among my filmmaker friends, to create a fake Russian landing on the moon that will spur the Americans back into action, if that's what it takes. Yeah, a little I bit of fake this news. Is a, this is a very good strategy.
1: <laughs> Don't worry, the Chinese are are working on it right now for that's you, true. and and should land on the moon within the next you know handful of years, and and that could very well be the reason why NASA is looking to go back to the moon now because the Chinese are set to do it.
0: More race. Mo better exactly. <laughs> Fraser, thank you for this incredible. I love these, this world you've spun for us. That actually, here's a good thing about it. It's sort of like both visionary, but also like you know what? We're living in the great vision. We don't are be down on it. It might be yeah, might worry, be a little bit slower. It's sad. Yeah.
1: That it Took 50 years for us to get here. It's going
0: to get really exciting. In gratitude. From the good people of the Unemployed Philosophers Guild, who actually are employed, but maybe they're unemployed as philosophers, and they are employed as wonderful makers of, they say, smart, funny toys for smart, funny people like us and like you, you will receive Ranger. a finger puppet of a great scientist or science fiction character. Who knows? Wonderful. Who knows what it will be? And from our new partner, our new friend, Thomas Romer, at the Chop Shop... Stop! I really should look. (laughs) You get it right. He makes these magnificent posters, which uh, actually are also. He's been doing some of these in conjunction with the Planetary Society and also with uh, the SETI program. I will bring up that link in a moment.
2: So, uh, Matt, your book coming out? Will you uh, do you want to plug that? Uh, Sure. In about a month, Einstein's War. How Relativity Triumphed Over the Vicious Nationalism of World War One will be out in physical form, uh, available on Amazon now. Fantastic. And Matthew Stanley, Einstein's War. Fraser,
0: would you like to plug anything? You have so many awesome things. Uh, yeah, well, of course, I want to plug
1: our, our new book, uh, The Universe Today let's see what's it the ultimate guide to viewing the cosmos which is our book written by dave dickinson who who is the amateur astronomer runs the animat- amateur astronomy beat at universe today and it is really just like our guide on how to become an amateur astronomer with filled with more than 100 beautiful astrophotos taken by some of the best people in the field of astrophotography so oh, cool we teach you how to take great pictures and just use a telescope and build your own telescope and what to see and when and show you the results of what you know practice can can bring and uh, and that's out right now.
0: Oh, that's fantastic! That's fantastic. yeah. That's also on Amazon and other.
1: Yeah, you can books find it sourced. any place. Just search for yeah. Go to Amazon, search for Universe Today. You should be able to find our book.
0: Fantastic! And the podcast is Astronomy Cast. Astronomy Cast. Yeah, which we just we just recorded episode
1: 525. Woo! So I think you've got some catching up wow. to do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for
2: sure.
1: um, and uh, and of course, the YouTube series that I do is called The Guide to Space, and that is on my YouTube channel, which you can just search for for my name. And so it's about 15, 10 to 15 minute videos about different topics in astronomy. So uh, the one that's just about to go live is the Hunt for Earth 2.0 and all the new planet hunting observatories that are coming out. Uh, the last one, Lou did was about building flying vehicles for for Mars and previous to that was an episode about why it's so difficult to land on Mars so uh, again 376 of those on, uh, on YouTube
0: and those are great, I know that anyone who listens to our show would, if they're not already watching our YouTube channel and listening to your podcasts and reading the uh, Universe Today website, um, would love all these things in fact, w- one of the things you do is you, know, you also take questions from your audience and uh there's a million fascinating questions you've answered. Thomas Romer at chopshopstore chopshopstore.com you can get these magnificent posters just go there and check them out and he does a lot of other really beautiful things. And uh, we have a couple discounts for you guys. If you, uh, I would love to have you on as a guest. Every one of you, you're listening now. I'd love to have you on the show. But until we get, manage to do that, um, you can still have your own finger puppet if you go to philosophersguild.com. You can get 10% off anything, not just finger puppets. At uh, Use coupon code WTIF and the same coupon code WTIF at the thechopshopstore.com where you find Thomas Romer's beautiful artwork Fifteen percent off there, and lastly, us humble hosts uh, at uh, t- at what the if show on Twitter, and you can go to our website whattheif.com. You can subscribe there. You can uh, leave us a review on iTunes, that would be fantastic. And uh, you can hear all our other episodes and learn about all kinds of things, including these crazy people. Thank you, Fraser. Thank you for ifing with us. That was awesome. You Thankful. are now a super duper iffer. And so, Excellent. we have a tradition here. I don't know if you've ever heard it, but we shout the name of our show into the black hole that is the universe of ignorance. Because when Matt and I ponder whatever we don't we have no idea what we're doing next week. We have no idea whatsoever. Sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds, and it, when it, very
1: similar. We have very similar approaches to our long-term content strategy. That's right.
0: It's all pure research. It doesn't matter which direction you go. When this idea presents itself to us, though, however, we will be stand. We will stand in horror and shock, and look at it and say, "And join us, Fraser, if you will." We will scream, "What?
2: What? The ah. <laughs> yeah!" yeah. yeah.